I love a good podcast, as you know, and I'm always happy to share resources for parents who are looking for creative, smart content that both entertains and offers enrichment for curious kids everywhere. So I'm happy to let you know about this awesome new show from the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild, The Adventurous World of Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time, packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. The series explores themes that kids like ours love, like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and more. And episodes transport kids into iconic periods in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England. So cool. New episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a perfect length for those car rides, for meal times, for break times, and bedtimes. What I love about this show is that it's kind of like listening to a book on tape. The story is captivating and includes lots of problems listeners can try to solve. The voice actors are fantastic, and the math concepts are seamlessly weaved into the narrative. It's exactly the kind of show Ash would have loved a few years ago, especially during our homeschool years, because finding that perfect blend of entertaining and educating, it isn't always easy. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. The the shift from sensory integration, where I was just looking on uh, and adaptive motor responses, DIR has now led me to really thinking about that social emotional development. And that's what I want to sort of give to parents, that it's not just fixing the sensory, but it's really supporting the overall development of the child and you and your relationship with your child. Welcome to Till Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber. My guest this week is Rosemary White, an occupational therapist trained in neurodevelopmental therapy, sensory integration, and DIR floor time. Rosemary owns and operates pediatric physical and occupational therapy services in Seattle, Washington, where we were lucky enough to cross paths as Asher went to Rosemary's practice for a number of years. And I just have to say, I look back on that time as a truly magical one of learning and growth for our family. Rosemary is passionate about working in collaboration with parents and finding the joy in supporting each parent and their child and their relationship with one another to promote development. Rosemary is a Perfectum Foundation senior faculty member and has taught, consulted, and provided supervision to professionals in the U.S., as well as Canada, Europe, the U.K., Turkey, Israel, South Africa, Brazil, Uganda, Taiwan, Peru, Ukraine, Russia, and Australia. During this conversation, Rosemary explains what DIR floor time therapy is and what it looks like in practice, the involvement of parents in their child sessions, why some kids just need to move and what is really going on when they do, and how we can push to get DIR floor time into more schools. I love Rosemary's approach of recognizing the individual and tailoring the approach to best support each child and their family. Before I get to that, as you may know, I've been working to create some self-study programs for parents and caregivers who are looking for specific support. And last fall, I shared my first new mini course called The Emergency Reset. And this week, I am excited to announce something I've been working on for months. I have just launched a self-study version of my Differently Wired Club. So this is a 12-month program, each month focused on a different theme featuring videos, worksheets, accountability challenges, deep dive resources, and weekly emails to keep you on track. I try to take the best of the club and reformat it in a way that works for busy parents who don't have time for live calls and engagement, but would benefit from the club content. To check it out, visit courses.tiltparenting.com or go to Tilt Parenting and click on courses in the main menu. Thanks so much. And now here is my conversation with Rosemary. Hey, Rosemary, welcome to the podcast. 
Hi, Debbie. It's wonderful to be here. I've been wanting to do this for a couple of years. I'm just realizing, I think we saw each other at the Perfectum Conference maybe three, two and a half years ago. 2019. Wow. Well, anyway, I'm so happy this is happening. You are someone who has been in my life peripherally um, for a very long time. But I would love if you could take a few minutes. So I've already read your bio. But if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and maybe your personal why for the work that you do. Well, I'm an occupational therapist and um, have always had a passion of working with children and their families. And um, so even at a very young age, I, I wanted to become an OT and really was fascinated by the forming relationships with with children and their families or even when I was in training with adults um, who had strokes and other neurological disorders. So I think I've put relationships in the forefront, but I also really am passionate about neurobiology. And so really trying to understand how we um, take in the world and what it makes and contributes to us being the unique beings who we are. And so, you know, as a very young therapist, I, um, when I graduated, I went to the UK and did a graduate course in the treatment of children with cerebral palsy. And so I was passionate about that. And then I discovered, discovered, became more and more well-versed in sensory integration and had the good fortune to work with both of the individuals who developed those theoretical models. And so what was really powerful about that was it sort of gave me a, th- a theory and, and a, something solid behind just the work and um, and playing with children and their caregivers. And so, you know, as I moved on and uh, started working more and more, I started to sort of see how when we work, we were really supporting children and their families, not just to um, coordinate their bodies better or take in the world, but really it was a platform to move forward into social interaction. And so for the last 20 years, 21 years, um, I have become involved with the with Perfectum and the work of Stanley Greenspan and Serena Weider, which really sort of pulled the motor and sensory development into what I think is the most important thing, and that's really how we are able to be individuals who have successful relationships with one another. So because it's through relationships that we really learn and grow, no matter what you're you're trying to learn. We never really learn in isolation. We learn in relationships with others. And we sometimes that relationship might be just a one-on-one relationship or it might be in a, you know, a group. Yeah. And so full disclosure for listeners. So Rosemary White, when, when Asher was very young, maybe four, and someone said the words sensory processing disorder to me, I read Carol Kronowitz's book, The Out of Sync Child. And then your name, Rosemary, kept coming up because I was living in Seattle at the time. Oh, you got to go to Rosemary White. Oh, Rosemary White. So we did. We were on a waiting list for quite a while. And then we we got in and we ended up working with a therapist who I still just love and adore, Chris Johnson, for many years. And there's so many aspects of that time that have stayed with me and that I think were so unexpected and have really kind of changed how I parent. And the relationship piece is a big part of that. I remember sitting just having the worst day, right? And showing up to OT. And then Chris was checking in on me and she was kind of explaining what she was doing and looping me into the play. And I wasn't expecting that. Can you talk more about that relationship with parents? Because I think so often we just like, okay, you do this with my kid and then let me know how it goes. Well, I think it's really very important that, um, you know, if we're seeing an OT for an hour, a child seeing an OT for an hour out of seven 24 sevens, that's not much. And unless we include the parent and make it a collaborative process, so I'm not going to move into do this, do that, or here's your series of ex- of activities to do. We want to really make it a dynamic process. So, you know, when I had my first private practice, which was in California, um, 
the parents were always sitting in on the sessions. And at that stage, I was doing more of the direct therapy and feeling that the parents could learn through observing. But as I became more and more involved with DIR floor time, it became much more of a collaboration with the parents. And that um, the, it was the, the child and the parent who were the ones interacting. And I'm there in a way, in the sidelines or sometimes as the third person, and we're really supporting this flow of interactions. And, you know, things about that are, you know, each one of us processes things in a different way. So we have to tailor our interactions according to that individual. So it may be that you need to slow your pace down. Or I was just working telehealth yesterday with a lovely family with a little girl who's three and really mum was doing this lovely interaction of she was in mum's lap and mum was tickling her and just bringing her hands up to, up her trunk to tickle her face and the pacing is so important that then she can feel that sense of oh mummy's hands coming up I and the information comes in and she starts to know I know what's going to happen and that's like you start to make sense out of the world and predict what's going to happen. So some of those early games, like this little piggy or, um, you know, there's one from Australia round and round the garden like a teddy bear, one step, two step, tickly under there. So we think about all of those games are about relating with your child, but it's also that your child is starting to say, mommy's or daddy's interacting with me and I know what's going to happen. So you transfer that to being 12 and I'm taking in what's going on around me and I'm able to take in the sights and the sounds and the action of the world and make a prediction about what's going to occur. And then I can adapt accordingly. So when I look at development, I look at it as this continual process. And my passion is to support social interactions. So fascinating. So you mentioned DIR floor time, and that is something that, you know, I had never heard of it before. And it's often brought up in my Tilt Together group as people are getting information about their kids, maybe being autistic or having sensory issues, and they get recommendations for different types of therapy. DIR floor time is the one most parents are like, this is the one. So can you tell us more about what that actually means and what it looks like in practice? Well, the acronym DIR stands for it's a developmental approach that is really considering the individual profile of the child and the caregiver and that it is relationship-based. So that's the D, the I, and the R. But in a way, it should be, it's a relationship-based approach to treatment that is really tailored to the individual profile of the child, and I'll explain that a bit, to support what we call the functional-emotional development. So we're thinking about relationships, and everybody's relationship is different. So we have to really understand those rhythms of the relationship. The I is talking about the individual profile, so how the child and the caregiver take in sensory information, the sights and the sounds and the action of the world around them, and also their own body as well too, what we experience in our own body, our actual physical abilities, our motor control, and also what we call motor planning. So I can have an idea. I then will have that idea. Then I have to sort of access my my image of my body to be able to say, okay, in order to make this idea or goal come to fruition, I have to organize my body in a way that's going to sequence to be able to me be then to execute it and but also to be able to adapt my plan so what I and I'll give you an example of this is you know say I wanted to bake a cake well I could think about oh gosh I'd really love to have make a, a chocolate mousse so then I'm going to think about well what do I have in terms of the ingredients so that would be the the planning and then what step am I going to need to do first second or third um and so I have to think about the sequence of what I'm going to do. And then I have to think about, well, how am I going to actually physically myself put these ingredients together? And then I start to put it all together and I realize that maybe I don't have, um, uh, let's see what uh, I'm doing. Of a, we, my, my daughter just made a, a chocolate mousse, but she uses the aquafaba from 
uh, garbanzo beans because she can't use eggs. So there she's adapting the recipe accordingly, right? So I may not have eggs, so I'm going to go and open a can of garbanzo beans to use that uh, that fluid to be able to make the eggs. Um, and so then I'm and, – and say I'm making it and – I'm whipping it so fast that some of the material, some of the ingredients spill out. That I'm going to have to, you know, capture the bowl a little bit. So we're constantly adapting. So that might be me making a chocolate mousse. But what if I was interacting with another child and we were both um, going to play um, chess and we're getting out the the chess board? Then I'm going to have to organize my actions in relation to my partner or you know I run summer camps and so we do a lot of supporting social interaction that way and it's supporting children as they're on a climber and they're they're going up on the climber but they have to take in what's going on around them or it could be and so we might use our affect to go things like oh oh, here comes Johnny so that you're using your affect to help the child who may be really focusing on what they're doing to be able to go, oh, somebody's coming close. How do I going to adapt to that too? So, you know, there's that piece too. So I've sort of digressed a long way, but having the parents involved in the sessions from the very beginning is really powerful because we're really sort of sharing our knowledge in terms of, sensory processing, motor control, motor planning, communication, and being able to help them develop those beautiful rhythms of interaction with their child. And I have to say that it's a very strength-based approach. So we're looking at the strengths of the child to really be able to support you access those strengths to support the challenges. So it's not coming in and saying you're failing at this, you're failing at that, you're failing at... Da, da, da. It's much more about this is what I see you're, you, you, you and your child in terms of that interaction when you come in very slowly and you're just, you know, drinking in what he's doing, you can just see that light up and what we call that gleam in his eye. That was beautiful. Parents want to hear what they were doing that was beautiful, not like, okay, you need to do, stop doing this and you need to stop doing that. It's much more about that was a beautiful moment because that's what you come away with afterwards. Gosh, I'm being flooded with memories right now. I love the strengths-based approach. That's, you know, certainly what I believe and what at Tilt Parenting, that's really the core of so much of what I'm hoping to share with parents is to start with the strengths. And I do want to just give a shout out to Mona Delahook, who has been on the show. She'll be on the show actually the same season as this interview, talking about her new book, um, Brain Body Parenting. But I met Mona at the Perfectum Conference, and that's when I was introduced to her work. And I hear so much of that look at the individual that child that we have and how important that is and the playfulness in which all of this work happens. I have a question then about tools. I'm thinking when I first went with Asher, again, I think that they were four or five and it was like a whole new world to me. I was like, oh my gosh. First of all, I didn't even understand what we were doing. I didn't understand what proprioception was or that there were tactile sensory things going on. And I also didn't know, I'm like, well, those are some interesting stretchy hammocks and, you know, different fabrics. There are just so many tools. Can you talk about some of the types of tools that that you rely on and maybe give us an example of one or two and and how they support our kids' development? Okay. But then this sort of comes from, you know, my sensory integration background. And so it's not so much the tools themselves as it is, is how we relate to the child and the caregiver with those materials. So we, you may have a, a, a child who, you know, even though they move around, they don't have a very clear map of their body. So if you just all your listeners, just close their eyes and you can Picture yourself, I can picture myself with my eyes closed that I'm sitting in a chair and that I've got my legs crossed. I'm not looking, but all the messages inside my body come up to this motor part of my cortex that give me this updated map. Now, some children that we we work with, um, 
the if you look at now at Carol Kranowitz's book, The Outer Sync Child, what we're really talking about there is that all of the sensory systems are firing at the same time. And they they have what we call this beautiful interconnectivity. So my vision talks to my body, which talks to what I'm hearing, and and it comes together. But what if one of those or a number of those sensory systems were one was lagging a millisecond behind the other, which is what the research has shown us for some children. Then what are we going to, how are we going to create an environment that really sort of increases that awareness of the body? So we might have, we might set up that hammock. I have a lot of, you know, not, I have climate hammocks that I bought in Brazil. So they're those lovely big cloth hammocks that individuals in Brazil sleep in. Um, and it may be that a child and their caregiver might get inside that and then wrap themselves up so that you're you're forming this beautiful connectivity, but you're also mapping the child's body to give more fuel to that proprioceptive or muscle and joint fire to marry what we're feeling from our gravity receptors and from vision, but also tied in with emotion. So you're doing that. Or it might be that... Um, you know, some children really need to move. They it, it really helps their body feel organized. And when they do move, they're able to organize their thoughts. So instead of saying, would you stop moving? We might do things like, I notice when you move around, you're sharing your ideas in such a great way. I can follow it. So you're, you're, you're acknowledging this is what's important for an individual. Like I use my hands the whole time when I'm talking. If somebody told me, put your hands down and keep them down, my thought process is going to be a little bit more disorganized. So we want to really highlight those strengths and notice what it supports in terms of development. We'll be right back after this quick break. So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites, turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60tilt at greenchef.com slash 60tilt. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body. And so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. 
Get 25% off your first month for limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. So I love the word organized, and that's something I remember Chris saying, which I didn't really quite grasp at the time, was that for Asher, spinning was a really organizing activity. For me, I I can't even watch because I get motion sickness. But can you say a little bit more about what exactly is happening, like a, a child who needs to spin or to swing or do a movement? When you say organize, what's really happening? Well, I think you, again, you're pacing it in a way that you bring about that interconnectivity. So it may be that a child who wants to spin Maybe what happens is around your ears, you have these very tiny organs called your vestibular organs, and they're like a gyroscope in your ear, and you have a one on the left side and the right side, and that vestibular organ supports you to be able to know where you are in space, if you're tipping to the left or to the right, and if you're rotating and when you stop, so that you're getting all of this information from little hair receptors inside there that give you millisecond by millisecond information about where your head is in space, where your body is in relation to the pull of gravity. And so one of the things that's important is that that information from our muscles and joints comes up and it goes to a part of our brain called the vestibular nuclei. And there the information from those gravity receptors gets married, I'll use the word married, gets married or connected to the body information and also vision before you're even consciously aware. And so if one system is lagging a millisecond behind the others, then you may be trying to seek out ways to reorganize that. Now, a baby at about 18 months, when they've just learned how to walk and getting that rotation in their body, they will spin themselves around and spin themselves around to be able to then stop and say in their mind, ha, gravity, I've got more power over you. I'm not going to fall over. So if you, I have a 21-month-old grandson and the last month he's been spinning himself around and then he'll stop and look at everybody like, you see what I'm able to do? Okay, so he's he's organizing his body to be able to have mastery of it. So if things were not quite in sync for a child and that connectivity was not as robust, I may seek out doing those sorts of activities to really work towards having that mastery. And so, but the most important thing is not spin, 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 but it's just like the baby does. He spins and then he stops so that you're really giving fuel to those systems and then you're stopping. So I might be playing with a parent and I'd say, okay, let's just go with the movement. I've got one child who loves to be in a hammock and dad to do like a really pretty wild ride, but then you want to stop. So you reorganize the system and he's able to have mastery of it. Such a great explanation. Thank you for walking us through that. I'm wondering what is the relationship between, for example, a sensory seeker or or a child whose proprioception isn't completely connecting in the way that we'd like to see. Why is that a, a problem? I imagine most parents are coming to you because of intensity behavioral challenges related to, and maybe they may or may not be autistic or have ADHD or or other things. But what is the cost of not doing this work to integrate these systems? Well, I want to come back to DIR because I think the D of DIR is really important. And that is that we're thinking about one of the, the most important early beginning for us as individuals is we're interacting today is sharing attention. We're both sharing attention around a common theme or interest, but we're also co-regulating, which means I'm altering my actions in relation to your responses. You're altering your actions in relation to mine. And so if you think about early development, co-regulation is the caregiver relating with that infant, but then it's the toddler 
the preschooler, the elementary age school, the adolescent, adult. We're always reading the cues of other people to be able to know how I'm just going to tweak my interaction to help sustain the engagement. So that's the next thing, engagement, being able to be engaged across a wide range of emotions. To then be able to show my ideas and intentions and read the intentions of other people. So that's, again, the dance of social interaction. To then be able to stay in a long, continuous flow of interaction. To be able to feel power both physically and emotionally. And to be able to also um, engage in shared social problem solving. Not necessarily just physical, but also how do I stay in that interaction and then the next and the next crucial part of that is being able to organize my actions and behavior in relation to the social environment impulse control being able to become a member of my home community my extended fa- extended family my edu- my school community and the greater social world so Those are the early developmental stages that actually are emerging in the first year of life, become more and more refined over experience. And then we move into more of a symbolic world where children now are able to move into play, which is representative of their own internal emotional experiences, but also to explore through play how they're going to navigate social interactions, how they're going to navigate emotions. So we have a lot of toys at our practice, which are things like um, dinosaurs and dragons. And we're not going to say, oh, they're only nice dragons. We're going to, children need to be able to, through their play, work through aggression. They have to work through navigating uh, joy and frustration. And so, the sensory integration world was really just that sensory piece of equipment that might really navigate or uh, nurture the way to be able to get that body piece organized. But then we really want to think about how that body piece moves into social interaction as well as independence in my own self-help skills. So a child might come in under the auspice of the umbrella of sensory processing disorder and the child may have challenges in terms of um, preferences of clothing. They may only want to wear sweats. We, I mean, children come to our practice, and if you look along the hallway, because they'll take off their shoes, most of them have rain boots. A lot of them wear rain boots or Crocs because they feel more comfortable on their feet. So instead of saying, you've got to wear tennies, I'm going to say, you know what's comfortable on your feet. Or... If they only want to wear sweats and don't want to wear jeans, you know what's comfortable. So it's a flip in that way. But the other part about it is that we want to look beyond. We want we want to look beyond. Um, if the, if you just take care of the sensory, everything's going to be fixed up. Because as you've so brilliantly written in your book, and as you shared on Tilt Parenting, it's about the relationship and supporting that developmental process that really brings about, you know, the the ability to be able to um, really think about things in terms of being able to um, what we call a, have elaboration of ideas, to be able to have interactions and play that have a logical flow where we're able to reflect on uh, what uh, what's going to be the outcomes of things and what are the motives of why people do things. Then moving up into higher levels, which you described so beautifully with Asha, in terms of thinking about multi-causal thinking, that things can occur for many different reasons, and then being able to appreciate that other people might have different perspectives to you and then being able to you know really think about not only different perspectives but also value systems the the value systems of what um i might prefer in relation to somebody else so that's sort of a continuum in terms of the developmental levels and so the the shift from sensory integration where i was just looking on and adaptive motor responses 
DIR has now led me to really thinking about that social emotional development. That's what I want to sort of give to parents, that it's not just fixing the sensory, but it's really supporting the overall development of the child and you and your relationship with your child. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. Hey, are you a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed about how to be what they need while also holding limits and boundaries that keep them safe? Are you tired of conversations that negate how messy this season of parenting is? Well, I've got you. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am a positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and the host of the Joyful Courage podcast. Every week I come to you with an interview, digging into tough topics with experts I trust and solo shows that go deep into the personal growth and mindset needed to raise teens in a way that grows them into confident, capable young people. I am not afraid of getting real about the intersection of conscious parenting and the teen years, while also bringing in vulnerability, humor, and lightness. I'm walking the path with you and honored to serve. Listen to Joyful Courage on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. It's such an important thing. I think that, you know, we can't talk about this enough on the show. I think so many parents come to my work and probably come to your center looking to fix problems, looking to address tricky behaviors, red flags at school. And this is such a, you know, as you're describing it, it feels so hopeful and positive. And as you said, strengths-based it's also not a quick fix. This takes a long time because we're really investing in the relationships and parents are guided often in more behavioralist approaches to a lot of these challenges that they might be facing at school or at home. But really doing this deeper work, how the child benefits, I just can't, I don't think there's any, you can't even compare the two. Mm-hmm. And and I think the, the big thing is that it's really highlighted on what happens in development and no two individuals development is identical. And so we have to really think about how do we tailor the interactions to each individual too. And, 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 and really listen to the parents. I think that's another really, really big thing too. You know, if you look at it, when an infant's born, we're waiting for when they'll walk and talk. And that takes 12 months to 14 months to walk. So what's been going on in those first 12 months? And to talk, you know, around 18 months you're starting to hear some words, but what's been going on in those 18 months? And that takes a long time. And so we've got to think about that as everything takes a long time. It's not as though it's going to happen straight away, but 
if we're just looking at the moments to moments and supporting those moments to moments, you're creating this wonderful foundation. And I suppose for me, it's very exciting to read about Asha and you, but also I've had a number of clients that I started seeing when they were three and they all have just graduated from high school and going off to college. And, you know, each one has had a different experience and where they're going to is different, but it's just really lovely to see that, you know, for, for a number of children, that's where they're, they're, it's, it's the journey that helps them, no, that um, supports them to reach what their goals are as a graduate out of high school and moving forward. And some need more support than others. And we're going to be able to, you know, work together to be able to find what is going to be the best road for each child. I wanted to ask you, there was a conversation on, I think it was in my Tilt Together Facebook group, just about the limitations in terms of insurance and the challenges. Actually, I interviewed an expert in advocating for a universal design for learning in schools and really getting rid of ableism in schools and and talking about the importance of getting new modalities accepted and used in schools over ABA or these approaches. Do you have a sense of of where we are and what needs to happen in order for us to get DIR floor time more utilized in school systems? Well, it's an interesting factor too, because there are a number, a couple of schools, number of schools that are DIR informed schools, and they're very much relationship based and um, really working a lot on terms of um, putting those foundations of shared attention, co-regulation to support regulation, engagement, intentionality. And so you're going to really make the curriculum or design the curriculum to meet the needs of the children as opposed to making the children meet the needs of the curriculum. So that's one thing. Um, There has also been in relation to insurance, um, there's Medicaid has been approved for DIR floor time in, um, let's see, New Jersey, Florida, I believe Illinois, and um, there's work in California with regional centre, there's a lot of funding for DIR floor time as well too. But there's more. One of the beliefs is that if you if things move forward in terms of uh, the work in New Jersey and it gets, you know, it, it's really showing that this work costs less because we're doing so much support to the parents than an ABA program um, and the outcomes are more positive, then it will be more hopefully nationally covered. Um, in Washington State, that's not the case, but, you know, we're working as OTs providing support for children and their families. So within, you know, our clients are covered by their insurance. But if you're an educator um, or um, another professional, sometimes it's more dicey. Um, What I was going to say, though, too, is that Perfectum has just begun now a paraprofessional training. So we just did the first one in um, November. And basically we're... You know, to be able to provide DIR floor time uh, in home or in the schools, we want to train paraprofessionals. So this might be somebody who has a bachelor's degree or an associate degree, um, and we're going to be training them to be able to support children, understanding the individual profile, the developmental process. But they would then be under the supervision of a an individual who has done at least the what's called the level two training uh, in DIR and Perfectum. So I do training of level one and level two in Perfectum where we're getting deeper and deeper into understanding our work with children and their families. And so though the people who've graduated from CL2 would be able to then um, supervise paraprofessionals. And, you know, in the state of Washington, for the last 21 years, I've been doing summer camps and I've been training paraprofessionals in those summer camps. And it's, they're fa- it's, it's wonderful. It opens up the door to this really exciting work for 
college students and I even have high school students who, who've worked with me and many of them on, have gone on to become special ed teachers, OTs, uh, speech and language pathologists, psychologists. That's great. And can you just take a minute and tell listeners what Perfectum is? Because also parents can do training through Perfectum, correct? Yes, that's correct. Perfectum began in uh 2011. And prior to that, we were with a, a, another group called ICDL, ICDL, um, which was the Interdisciplinary Council for Developmental and Learning Disorders. And ICTL also does training as well, too. And I'm actually a trainer, you know, certified trainer on both of them. Um, Perfectum began uh, under the guidelines of uh, Serena Weeder, who is the clinical director who developed DIR floor time with Stanley Greenspan. And then we have a faculty of psychologists, OT speech and language language pathologists, educators, um, music therapists and um, art therapists and others individuals working with children uh, with autism and other challenges in relating and communicating. And we we developed a training module uh, which we began in 2011 and there's uh, webinars within that that are designed to for the individuals in the courses to watch the webinars, then we meet for discussion, reflecting on the webinars, and then we provide tutoring. But we also, through Perfectum, have what we call the Perfectum Parent Toolbox, which is a free resource. And you just go to perfectum.org and register. And it's a, a series of webinars that were put together with Serena Weeder, Ricky Robinson, who is a pediatrician, um, and Serena Weeder is a clinical psychologist. Ricky Robinson is a pediatrician with Sherry Kahn, who's a speech and language pathologist, Monica Osgood, who's an educator who runs a wonderful school called Celebrate the Children, and then myself. And it's uh, it's a series in four units that is... Um, 37 webinars with over 150 video clips and it's designed to have like 30-minute webinars for parents to watch and reflect on in relation to their own child and it has a workbook that goes with it as well too and it's been translated into Spanish and I believe Mandarin. Such a great resource. Listeners, definitely check that out. I'll have links to all of this in the show notes pages but I was really floored by the Perfectum community when I had the honor of speaking at a Perfectum conference and spending a few days with just the loveliest humans. Like it was just such a great community, very supportive, very child-focused, play-focused, strengths-focused. So listeners, if this is kind of piquing your interest, definitely check out those resources. And I just wanted to ask, we do have a lot of international listeners. So you just mentioned translations. Is DIR floor time used in in other countries like what is the international reach broad very broad um in you know, throughout europe there are many individuals providing floor time i do a telehealth support group on fridays for since we began in with covid and i have people who come from argentina brazil south africa um turkey uh ukraine italy uh malta and then, uh, and then there's obviously I'm Australian. There's a whole DIR community in Australia. I'm currently training a group in New Zealand. Um, I also work with a group in Singapore, uh, Russia, uh, Georgia. Um, so yeah, it's in the UK, Wales, uh, Ireland uh, as well too. So yes, there's many people from all over. Um, all over the world. And I've, I've had the good fortune to go and work in uh, Brazil, Peru, Taiwan, uh, where else? Russia, Ukraine, Italy, the UK, and South Africa. That's another big group in South Africa as well, too. And just all over the place, too. So that's fantastic. You're reminding me that I think last time we talked about getting you on the show, I think you were going to Russia or you had just come back. So that's so cool. As a way to wrap up, if there are listeners who are really interested in exploring this modality for their child, is Perfectum the place to go? How can they tap into or find resources where they live for their child? Well, I think 
there's a couple of ways to go too is Perfectum is a great resource and there is like a parent module as well too. Um, the other, you know, going to ICDL and looking there, there's directories for both of them. So you could go um, and, you know, put in the state that you live in and, and the area um, of you know, where, who, where a resource would be. The other um the other part about it is too, I think, just um, going to the Perfectum toolbox and going through that is another resource because we really wanted to design it. If you live in a place where there isn't a prof- isn't a, a DIR floor time professional, our goal was that you would be able to really go through this and think about your own child. So that's another resource as well too. Fantastic. Well, Rosemary, I just want to say thank you. I. I'm just grateful for the work that you do. I'm so happy our paths crossed so many years ago. And when we moved, left Seattle to go to Amsterdam, saying goodbye to Chris and to the other therapists we work with was one of the harder goodbyes that we had to make. It was like the end of such a magical time of learning and growth for our whole family. So I just wanted to say that and thank you so much for everything that you shared today and the work that you do. And, and I just want to say it's wonderful to to be here and just, um, you know, I have followed you since you were at the office and just it was so exciting to read your book and to, to you know, look at about your journey in Amsterdam and then coming back to the United States. And I, I don't know if you remember but when Chris went on maternity leave, I treated Asher, which was a joy yes. for me too. So oh. It was fun. And treat is not the right word. I had I joined Asha in the play. Yeah, <laughs> in the play. Yeah, I think that's a better way of saying it too. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks again for coming by the podcast. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. If you want to dig deeper into this episode, check out the show notes page. Every episode has a dedicated show notes page on my website where you can get links to all the resources we discussed, read a transcript, and even easily go back and listen to key takeaways by using the chapters feature on the podcast player. To get to the show notes page for this episode, just go to tiltparenting.com slash podcast and select this show. If you love this podcast and want to help cover the cost of its production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. For as little as $2 a month, you can help cover the cost of the hosting platform for this show, my wonderful new editor and producer, Andrea, and more. It's so easy to sign up. Just go to patreon.com slash parenting to learn more or click on the Patreon link on any show notes page. If you're into social media, you can follow Tilt Parenting at Tilt Parenting on Instagram and Twitter. Visit the Tilt Parenting page on Facebook or join my Facebook community called Tilt Together. Lastly, please help this podcast stay visible and easily found by subscribing and leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much. And that's all for this week. Stay safe, stay well, and take good care. And for more information, visit www.tiltparenting.com. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.